Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another very special 2023 award-winning edition of Ignite Radio Live. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. We are so blessed to be with you during this episode and are so excited to have a very dear special guest, a part two guest, um, joining us in a moment. If you would like to join us to go more deeply into this great adventure of marriage and family, go to ilovemyfamily.us. And we are very blessed tonight to have a episode part two. After COVID, what did we learn? Dr. Steve has become a good friend. We will have it in our show links. But as we were processing, I said, you know what strikes me? And I said, you know, I thought it was Ben Franklin, but it was Thomas Edison who said what, Dr. Steve? Oh, he he figured out uh, 10,000 ways the light bulb didn't work. He discovered what wasn't working and it informed his consideration of what would work. So I'm applying that to the past few years in particular. It's a good way to apply to life. But in the past few years, what didn't work in understanding what is true and who are the purveyors of truth? Who can you trust? I mean, truly trust. Set aside the politics. Set aside the ideologies. As Catholics, we want to approach tonight's conversation. And we're not going to do it perfectly. We admit that right up front. But we want to consider what is the true, good, and beautiful. Not because this party says it or that group of doctors says it, but what objectively is good, beautiful, and true. And a little background again, as Greg mentioned, this is part two. We encourage you, and there'll be a link in the show notes for part one. We would hear Greg's parents in particular and some of his siblings speak with such great admiration and regard for Dr. Steve Kibbe, we had struck up conversations, you in particular, Greg, with Dr. Steve and kind of processing this whole thing. And we had wanted to do a show right away with Dr. Steve. And then, drum roll please, not so much, Greg got COVID. And so Dr. Steve became a very... Uh, dear friend from afar who really coached us and helped us. Dr. Steve, I remember you specifically, two specific conversations that I want to share. One was you touched on um, the spiritual battle that you felt was going on in Mm -hmm. particular with Greg. Mm -hmm. And that meant so much to hear you put words Mm -hmm. on it and know that your prayer was so deep and so appreciative of your prayers for him and for our family. Um, But also, I just, you, you, said that you woke up in the middle of the night one night and feeling that you, God was asking you to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet mm. for Greg. And that mm. has, th- those graces, I believe, still echo today mm. into our lives. But also you, um, I'm going to get choked up a little bit, but in mm. the midst of it and not knowing quite what to do next as he wasn't improving for various reasons, in particular, my belief is that spiritual battle, but you asked to pray with me. You said, mm. can I just pray with you, Stephanie? And that meant so much and brought such grace and healing and presence of the Holy Spirit to my soul, to our family. And so, as we dive into it more deeply, listeners, I want you to know that this guy is real. We love you. We appreciate mm. you. Um, we finally got to meet in person a few months ago at a pro-life event in Columbus, and I so look forward to connecting again in person. Um, but we are grateful to have you with us and and so grateful for your openness to step out and to bring us the questions, your answers, and just kind of a bigger picture of what we have learned. So just to make it very real and, and cue you up, if you will, um, Two names that are very hallowed to Steph and I 
our Dr. Chris Stroud and Dr. Eustace Fernandez, um, beloved brothers, devout Catholic men seeking the good of others. Um, Dr. Chris and Dr. Eustace have both been on the Doctor Doctor program nationally, which we have high regard for and respect for. And we understand we touched on this last time in the first episode that when this first hit, there were a lot of people asking questions. And the, the key issue was an acceptance, unquestionably, of the narrative being given. And there, are, you know, Dr. Eustace particularly was on the front lines. We were praying with him and benefited from his wisdom and my experiences. So a lot of thoughts and prayers. So the question was this, because they were a little bit contrarian to the view that uh, your, your research, Dr. Stephen, experienced. And we thought that's good. That's okay. Let's create a platform where we can have the conversation with respectful vigilance. Both of those words important. Respect, with for one another, but vigilance to, to really consider what lessons did we learn. So following our first episode with you on it, I did send that program to them, expressed our high regard for them, and asked for feedback. And I think both of them did acknowledge um, straight up that we can't uncritically accept the mainstream narrative. And they were real advocates of the vaccines. Um, and, you know, they certainly were less than saying they wouldn't have done it differently. They, they I think, are a little compromised there. So let me just ask uh, as an opening for you and then to go with it where as you mm. will, because I think they represent Catholic, thoughtful uh, doctors who want to do best and disagree perhaps with you and I, but definitely came to a different place than they were a year ago. Your thoughts on that? Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so first of all, I'm very humbled to, to be joining you and, and all those wonderful compliments. And, uh, you know, I'm just, just a guy trying, you know, praying and trying to seek the truth. And, and, it, and it, is a, it is an incredible challenge. And what you're alluding to is, is, is the biggest challenge is that, I mean, it's, let's n- not make any mistake about it that my views are contrary to the mainstream views, okay? My views are, are, are contrary to what you are hearing from most physicians that you go to. Um, my views are contrary to very godly spiritual men, mm-hmm. God, men that I ter- respect tremendously and have great admiration for, which is, creates the biggest challenges. Right. Where is the truth? Uh, because you know, you, you I, there's other guys like me that are very spiritual and, and are seeking the Lord through this whole thing, and I'm sure that uh, the doctors that you mentioned are and do seek the Lord. So in that vein, we just you know we just need to we just need to keep seeking the Lord. And and what happens with with this is is that I, as I'm kind of seeking the truth, I'm finding myself trying to see well. You know, you, you, you kind of, when we seek the truth, we take what we've been taught as physicians um, for, the, for years past. We, we, we use the way that the methods that we've, that we've garnered and, and what have worked for us, and we apply them, you know, to today. And, you know, when you start doing that, you have to start, um, for me, I felt like I had to start looking at what was being told, what was being, you know, recommended and there just started to be things, you know, a tremendous amount of inconsistency, frankly. Okay. And it didn't sit well with me. Um, it, it, you know, the way that we were, it seemed like we, my colleagues were, except it's, were accepting sort of double standards. I mean, just a, for instance, is that, you know, I mean, science in and of itself is, is, you know, the creative science and the, the, the thing that makes us who we are, when you talked about 
um, Edison, you know, he experimented and failed. He postulated. He thought of ways that it could work, and, and he tried it, and he failed. Well, that's the way we work in medicine. It's the way it's always been. That's how that's how we've moved forward with with um, ideas and dialogue and, and and experimentation. We find out what's what's working, what works, and share it amongst each other. If we see something that's working, then we start um, then we start um, designing studies to to test it further. And if the studies are you know supportive, um, we again th- then then we put a little stamp a stamp of approval on it. Okay. Well, what was happening? from my standpoint or the way I was watching it is that it felt like we weren't doing that. Mm. Um, from the beginning, there was, a, there were medications that were, were completely safe. You know, we're talking about the hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. These were medications that were um, incredibly safe, proven to be safe. I mean, um, ivermectin, for instance, you know, has been in the market, I think, uh, well, hydroxychloroquine for over 60 years. And, and I think, you know, less than 20 deaths, you know, in the whole 60 years of using this medication mm-hmm. for arthritis and immune therapies and so forth. This just was a safe, safe medicine. Okay. Ivermectin, you know, won the Nobel Prize for um, river blindness. So it, it went through the FDA scrutiny as far as its safety and it was being used you know, f- for that purpose. Well, what happens is that we as physicians, we repurpose medications all the time. Right. We use them, what was called off-label, not what they were necessarily designed for, or studied for, but we found out that they were working. Mm. So we used them. So, you know, the challenge was that um, it, it was that the um, unequivocal um, response by the medical community that this could not be used could not be okay and this was in the light of you know there were many physicians that were very highly credentialed highly studied highly experienced that were using this method and be, and they were saying shouting out we're being successful here but then that was being squashed that was being yes. you know to the point where there was no discussion it wasn't let's 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 look at it and, and let's hear what you have to say and let's hear your experience it was no your experience no longer is valid. In fact, we, you are not valid and people were being canceled. Um, and that was a challenge, you know, good physicians, you know, there's, there's a, there's a physician named Peter McCullough in, um, you know, Dallas, Dallas, in the Texas area. I mean, this, this, this gentleman, um, you know, is board certified in cardiology. He's, he's has expertise in epidemiology, Amazing. immunology. I mean, mm-hmm. he's had, you know, he's, he's published tons of papers but then when he came out in the very early part and said, you know, we're, we're not doing this. I don't think we're doing this right. The way we're treating mm-hmm. COVID um, we're letting, we're making mistakes. And it just, it, it felt r- that, you know, this guy, all of a sudden he was uncredentialed. His, his, he was, you know, banned from his university. He was all of a sudden went from a guy who was teaching medical students, totally reputable to a guy that was now being labeled. Mm-hmm. So I was really challenged with, labeled as a as a you know a mis misinformation anti-vaxxer and so forth i mean the fact was is he's not an anti-vaxxer he was you know fully on board with vaccinations so so those were the challenges um you know the way that we the way that we mandated so so the challenge was in treating covid um, in and of itself, like we talked about, there was early treatment, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, that were that were being su- successful. Mm-hmm. 
And then what happened was there were studies that were that were performed very very quickly that um, were quoted to mis to misrepresent the hydro for instance hydroxychloroquine. So there would be a study that would come out and they would use hydroxychloroquine in the later you know in the hospitalization side of the illness when hydroxychloroquine was very effective in the front end. Okay, yeah. but yeah. then then they come out with a study and say okay, it doesn't work. It's not effective because it doesn't help these hospitalized patients. Well, it doesn't, you're right. But, but, but they weren't listening and we weren't, and then the studies on the front end for hydroxychloroquine, I can go into those studies were actually, actually the, the, the landmark studies um, by a gentleman like named Bower, his, his data was gone. You know, when people went over his data, we found out that, that, that it was actually, he was studying early, treatment but in fact the early treatment in the pa- in the first three or four days was was important but but then when somebody restudied they noticed that the shipping labels when they studied the shipping labels they, they saw that the patients were actually getting the medicine two or three days later so that skewed the data so some of the, some of those things is you know again we can go in into the 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 challenge is is that Yours and my everyday physician will say, well, we have studies that prove that hydroxychloroquine didn't work, or we have studies that prove that this medicine is dangerous, or we have studies that prove, um, you know, that it's ineffective. Unfortunately, there are tons of studies that prove that they are effective, they are safe. And unfortunately, when we, we dive into the studies that are performed, that are being quoted, um, and picked up by the main uh, medical bodies, they are not great studies. Right. Um, and, and so, but but I'm not I'm not here to uh, to try to disparage. I think it's more important that we need to talk. I mean, we need to look at these studies. We need to look at what's working, and we we can't be so um, so cocksure, so sure that we have the right answer. It's never been that way. So, so if, if I can just interrupt for a second, yeah. Dr. Steve, I think remembering those days and I can feel my blood <laughs> boil yeah. listening to you, just the wrongness of the whole situation. So best case scenario, right, you have people who truly believed in these studies, right? Like, so, okay, okay. But then I feel like there was such a huge piece, use the word squashed or squelched or something like that. Like, I felt like time and time again, these people who were trying, you know, to really help people and they, their studies, if you will, that showed the positivity, it wasn't just, well, no, we have this study that says this. It was like, you will be quiet. You are not welcome in this conversation. Your information doesn't matter. So, like, when I we would have discussions with people, you know, on the opposite end, if you will, it's like, okay, but just step back if someone is being silenced so aggressively, shouldn't that be enough to step back and say, okay, is there something bigger than this? So I just wanted to add that um, for what it's worth. And just uh, as I uh, am grateful for you going forward and communicating to us tonight the key points in this episode, if we need more, we'll do that because I do think we need to keep chewing on this and learning again the Thomas Edison, what's not working, what can work. Um, But what ought to linger in our minds if we care about the health of others is who's calling the shots, and are they reliable? I mean, those are inescapable questions for a doctor, for any person, for any parent. Who's calling the shots? 
And are those shots, pardon the pun, are they, uh, you know, are, are, are they, are they reliable? Are they, are they proven to merit my regard? Um, because I think you're going to the you're going to the DNA the, the the meat of this, but those minimally I would say have to have to punctuate this and let you go, uh, let you continue. We can't uncritically accept what the CDC, NIH, doctor so and so is saying anymore. We just can't, and that was proven or established in the last few years, or prove me wrong or correct me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th I think what I you know what I would say is that that. Instead of jumping like the, the Dr. McCullough, who has all these credentials, and you say, well, he's, you know, he can't be listened to because he disagrees with us. OK, I think there has to be somewhere in the medical community that they have to start realizing that, you know, these uh, conspiracy theories or whatever they want to call them or label them, that there that there is some merit. In other mm -hmm. words, I have reason to be suspicious. OK, so, you know, I'm worried that my. Um, you know, my wife is cheating on me and I see this, you know, her car parked out somewhere. Well, you know, that's not proof that she is. But but I have reason because, you know, something's not adding up. And my concern is that there's tons of things that are that don't add up that, that have been taken as carte blanche. OK, mm -hmm. and we need to be suspicious. So, you know, just a little, uh, you know, uh, for instance, would be um, the gain of function research. OK. Mm -hmm. I don't think when I'm talking to my colleagues, I'd like to ask, I'd like to be able to ask everybody in the, in the medical community, do you know what gain of function research is? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I find surprisingly that there is a, a ton of my colleagues that do not know, have the slightest idea what gain of function research is. Incredibly intelligent, well thoughtful mm -hmm. people. Okay. Well, well, what's the deal with that? Dr. Kibi. Well, the thing, see, the, the whole thing is we have to understand that gain of function research is real. What that means is that there was a period of time that the coronavirus was being looked at and manipulated genetically to what gain of function means is to create a viral, a, a viral uh, entity that is transferred through animals to, to actually manipulate it so that it can be transferred to human mm -hmm. humans. Okay. So this is a whole, whole deal about bioweaponry that was, that was being studied, you know, for the past 15 to 20 years in the United States. Well, see, here's the thing is that there, the, um, NIAID, the, you know, Fauci's, um, organizations, the medical organizations, Fa Dr. Fauci was a part of this research mm -hmm. that he knew about this gain of function research. He, you know, he, it was a part of it, okay. And that, the the question is, well, if gain of function create can create a virus that can be transferred from um, human to human that it was before only animal to animal, and now we've created something, and coincidentally we have this coronavirus that was manipulated, and coincidentally this gain of function was stopped in the United States and North Carolina by President Obama. And then this research was taken to North to um, Wuhan, China. OK, I mean, this is all this is all fact. Yeah, and, documented. Yes. And when, when you follow the dot from North Carolina to China and, and, and coincidentally, Wuhan, China, all of a sudden a virus comes out of Wuhan, China that is infective to humans. That is a coronavirus. Um, it, it, it just starts to make you wonder, right? I mean, these coincidences are, are fairly strong. They should be checked out. In fact, everybody, if they knew, I mean, this, um, how many people has the coronavirus killed? You know, how many millions? Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and somebody should be saying, 
wow, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. And if and if someone started this, who created Frankenstein? Um, if someone created Frankenstein, we need to find out why they did it, who did it, and and we may, we need to hold them accountable. So so that's just the gain and function piece that's just totally ignored, which is confusing to me. Okay, um, so doctors don't know about the gain and function. Um, I would remind you that we physicians on the front line, we do not have time. I mean, it, I think every physician would admit that we do not have time to look at studies critically. Okay, what we do is we look at something comes across our desk. We're told it's a pretty good deal. We look at a quick study. We look at an abstract. We look at a title. Title says such and such drug is great for such and such. And we go, okay, good. I got something that will help help a, a, a disease process that I've been wanting to, to help. So I trust it, okay? So we don't have time to dig in deeply into these studies. We trust the drug representative who comes to buy us lunch, who is actually fed the information from his company, um, and they know how to do it, okay? So there's this whole bit of trust. So now when our physicians, they say, they say well, we, we have studies, well, yes, the drug companies have brought out studies that have been in favor for, for instance, the vaccine. But another method of, of sort of suspicion, okay, like let's just do we really, do my colleagues, do we all understand what this new vaccine is all about? Do we understand? I mean, I'd like, do they understand that it's actually genetic? It's a genetic modification, a man-made genetic modification, a genetic sequence that is injected into the arm, right? And so, so immediately, I mean, if they really understand that, it just seems to me that, that you know, I'm just a pediatrician and you know, just a general general guy. But but when I think about genetic m modifications, um, yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah. I want to know. I want to know who's in control of that, and I want to know: Do they really know what they're doing, and do they really study it? Has it been okay. tested? Has there been longevity? Yeah. Do they have a, the body of, of evidence to demonstrate its health, if you will? And did they have that before it was launched? And so we have, we, right, we have every right to know, okay? So then so then what happens is, is that, you know, I started to get, I was um, involved actually in the very um, early part of the adolescent arm study for the um, BioNTech, which was the Pfizer product, um, vaccine, va vaccine product. Okay. I started to look at that when it first came out. I thought, this is a great, this is great. I mean, vaccine, we, we've got a problem. COVID's a problem. We're having trouble treating it. A lot of people are dying. Vaccines. I mean, I was, I've been a vaccine guy for 30, 33 years. I've seen, you know, the vaccines do work. And I've been, a, you know, I've been an advocate always. So, so for me, this was a slam dunk. We you know, do research. And I, I'm part of this research. Let me bring adolescent patients to the table. This is great. They're going to have to get the vaccine anyway. So let's let, let you know, they, they get to make uh, actually a, a stipend. They get to get involved in the research. They get early vaccine. This is, this is perfect. I thought I was doing a great thing. But then I started to, um, I mean, I, I was just jumping in this, rushing in. And I was saying, I stood, took a step back. And I said, wait a minute, you know, this is not like your everyday vaccine. This is nowhere near the vaccines of the past. Every other vaccine in the past has had a piece of the pathogen, either a dead, a, mm. a dead pathogen that they, gar they took pieces from, you know, antigenic pieces from 
to put into their formulation, create the immune, put into the body, create an immune response to those, those, those um, what we call antigenic um, components. So they were, that's what they do. Or else they take a weakened or a weakened live virus, sort of like the measles, mumps, and rubella. They take those viruses and they, those are, weakened live strains whereas the other one with dead parts would be like your pertussis vaccine and your tetanus and diphtheria okay so so they were doing um that was the way the research went this is not a piece of the pathogen we are injecting a genetic sequence that was created a genetic sequence now not to get too complicated but not only was this genetic sequence um created by man but it was it was actually modified so that it could be stand get into the system long enough to evade the the initial immune reaction so that it, the, this substrate wouldn't get destroyed right away so we get into the body far enough so that there would be an immune so that the body could actually create the spike protein by reading the messenger rna so in other words they 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 were able to they created a way to be able to infiltrate the body with this message. The message wasn't the messenger wasn't going to be destroyed until it delivered the message. Okay, so it's a preservative. Okay, you have to, it's it's a pseudouridine is a modified nucleoside which is creates a preservative without getting too technical creates a preservative into the body so that it you know it's not recognized immediately. The body reads it and creates a spike protein. Okay, now the spike protein is the most virulent part of the coronavirus. Okay, that's what gets to our lungs, our cardiac tissues, mm. and that causes a problem. The, it's encased in a lipid nanoparticle, which is which also helps it to be able to migrate its way into the the body and 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 create do what it needs to do. So all of the, the lipid nanoprotein has been found to be toxic to epithelial cells in the card in the myocardium in the heart muscle. Okay, mm -hmm. so these things started to create red flags. Okay, now, so then I call I called up the um, one of the researchers in Pfizer and I said, "Hey, I got a problem. This is a genetic vaccine, right? Yes. It, it, well, is it really a vaccine? Well, it's a, it's really genetic therapy. Mm. Okay. Now, this is what I just said. Wow. You can't lose this. Epic. This is genetic. This is gen classified as genetic therapy." The companies, so I've done, I've gone back into this because the companies, when they first brought this product out, they knew it, they called it genetic therapy. It was genetic therapy. It is genetic therapy. It's not actually a vaccine. It's genetic therapy. So, but the, the powers that be, the, the CEOs and all that, the marketing people said, and the scientists said, listen, this isn't going to fly. People aren't going to accept genetic therapy. Gosh. We need to call it a vaccination. Okay, so then they called it a vac. They called it a vaccination. They changed the definition of vaccination vaccine. They changed it to fit this. Okay, they, the, the vaccine, oh. the definition for vaccine now became something that stimulates immune an immune response in the body, versus something that that actually effectively causes the body the ability to disarm and kill the organism. So now, technically, bit, vitamins or supplements could be a vaccine <laughs> with that definition, right? Well, uh, I, 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 I don't know if I'm, I'm not going to jump. Yeah, jump well, I'll just say that. <laughs> Mary Shelley created a vaccine. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, Dr. Steve. You just so, keep going. So, so we can't, we can't lose this thing that, 
that it that it's actually genetic therapy. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the suspicion just continued to mount. So then I ask, okay, if if any patient when when they went to get this shot that everybody said this is the right thing to do. Now, if they were told, hey, listen, this is really, do you know that this is genetic therapy? I just want you to know it's genetic therapy. Is that okay with you? I, I think it's true. We would we would start to wonder. Because what do you wonder about genetic therapy? You know, you hear about clones and, mm-hmm. you know, things that go crazy because we manipulated the genes and so forth. Well, well isn't that true? Island, of, Doc- Island of Dr. Moreau, right? Well, yeah. Not to give an exaggerated so, version, but you think about these things, right? When you're messing with the, 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 the essence of the human person at a DNA level, it's a brave new world, and it merits an additional level of caution by ethicists minimally. And so, so genetically, so I, I you know, my conversation with, with the uh, research, uh, PhD research head of the, head of the whole arm of the, the vex of uh, the study, um, you know, I said, so, okay, so this is genetic, it makes me nervous. Um, it makes, it tells your body to make a spike protein, which is toxic. Yes. Okay, so that made me nervous. Okay, well, okay, I understand. If we can we can wipe it out real fast, okay, I'm good with that. Is that what you think it does? Yes. I said, well, how long does how long does this genetic sequence when it's injected in the arm? How long does it last in the body? Do you think that's important to know? I mean, if it's making a spike protein that is toxic to us, is it possible that it can make too much spike protein that our body can't handle it? Is the question, and that. And that the woman said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know. And I said, okay, so, so, okay. I said, the second question is, all right, when that's injected, you don't know how long it's in the system, but do you know that it, that it will not last or penetrate any vital organs in the system? I mean, we're making this toxic protein. Is there any concern that this is going to affect the rest of the body? Well, what do you mean? Well, well, what if it gets in the ovaries? What if it gets in the adrenal glands? What if it gets in the brain? What if it gets in the cardiac tissue? Can this wreak havoc? This cause a problem? Well, we haven't done any, any what we call biodistribution studies, hmm. okay, which is actually untrue. They did do biodistribution studies. They did um, a study, and they knew with mice that they could inject the surrogate molecule that mimicked this product, they injected it, and within six hours, it was in the entire mm-hmm. circulation, the adrenal glands, the brain, all the t- all the uh, vital tissues. It was there, okay, within six hours. Now, if you know it does that in mice, I mean, that's why we do animal studies, isn't right. it? Is that we 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 test we test a theory and a pa and we and we experiment. Why did they know that it it does that it will in- penetrate the entire body in mice? And why did they not do biodistribution studies? Okay, again, I'm going to tell you to give your daughter or son this vaccine, this genetic therapy. And I'm going to tell you, uh, if I gave you informed consent, I would tell you, well, I don't know how long it's going to last in the body. Yes, it is a genetic sequence. Genetic, genetic, um, I don't know what it will do long term to your child's gonads to your child's ovaries to your child's brain to your child's cardiac tissue i don't know i do not know but i'm going to give this to you okay so why doctor are you going to give this vaccine to me well because in the beginning i was told the doctors we were told that it was safe and effective 
Okay, we were told that it was safe. Well, I'm telling you that they didn't haven't done any studies about safety. Um, they didn't do any bias. Well, okay, I don't want to. You never speak. You know, marriage therapy never speak in absolutes. Okay, okay, I'm not going to say never. They did do some safety studies, but they only followed very healthy forty thousand healthy individuals in this for initial studies. They only followed for six months the adults and for the children they only followed for 60 to 90 days so we don't have safety data beyond that mm. okay remember it's a genetic deal we don't know how long we don't know what it does to this issue long term so we do not know long term and what it does and i just a- challenge my colleagues you know to to tell me that i'm wrong about that i have a reason to be suspicious that down the road this could be a problem and you should too Right. Okay. So now here we are giving this vaccine to now let's just say children. Okay. So we know it's genetic. We know, we, you know, all the things we said and, and yet we don't know long-term. And then there's this whole deal about in any informed consent, we have to decide is the risk worth the benefit? Okay. Is there a risk? Is there a risk to this? Well, I've already, I've already given you some, theoretical risks okay now when we look at the risks there is a there is a system called called vares vaccine adverse event reporting system there is a system that monitors the adverse effects of any vaccine okay now this is a voluntary reporting system that was set up by the cdc okay and this the data that comes from that is supposed to create a signal to look at. By signal means, if you start seeing something and there's a lot of reports of bad things happening, you're supposed to look at it. Mm -hmm. That's what it was designed for. Now, again, I can't for the life of me understand why there could be 1.4 million side effects reported with this vaccine. Okay, why there could be over 30,000 deaths reported with this vaccine uh, within the proximity of the vaccine, why that these things would be reported, and then all the side effects that were theorized that were postulated, um, like neuropathies and seizure disorders and, um, you know, other immune problems, cardiac, the myocarditis, which we're hearing about. Mm -hmm. These were all postulated. And in fact... Pfizer um, knew, and in their early studies, they knew that this caused myocarditis, okay? Now, they said it was rare, and therefore, it didn't have to be worried. They didn't have to worry about it. It wasn't worth the, the, the risk of that, wasn't worth, wasn't comparable to the benefit that we would get from the safe adve- um, and effective vaccine. Okay, so now we're given this, this vaccine that we don't know a whole lot, lot about that's been rushed. We're giving a vaccine that is now um, mainly, com- it was up until a few months ago, mainly comprised of um, only the mo- genetic modification that was consistent with the original Wuhan strain. Okay. So now what's happened is that we all know we've heard about um, Delta, Delta Delta's strain, and that's, that's the one, mm-hmm. that's the one that, that, you know, caused you great grief, Greg, mm-hmm. um, you know, back. A year ago and and that was that was the delta um strain strain was very very um virulent and very very toxic and caused a lot of deaths okay and then came along omicron and omicron actually is less toxic but more contagious not only that 
it's it is highly contagious super contagious and 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 it's kind of what we're seeing is everybody knows that the vaccine and we know everybody's being vaccinated and yet they're still getting they're still getting the the covid infections right so so we just we have a conundrum here you know i'm going to go back to the children in that when there is not a risk when we go all from the start when i was taking calls at the very beginning for pediatrics the children were not getting infected for the most part and when they were getting infected it was very rare that it was very severe it only with kids that had profound comorbidities and for the most part they had concomitant infections with rsv other mm-hmm. very, very flu rsv other very um pathogenic k- killers that we already knew about mm-hmm. okay so the kids that were when they started looking um you know they had they had covid but they also had these other infections going on so we don't know that that even the sickest of the sick were caused only by covid right, right. bottom line is statistically speaking children under under 20 years old adolescents and young adults and under 20 years old they have a near zero chance of having any severe infection to covid whilst on the other hand we have a vaccine that and when i talked about the ver study those side effects cumulatively just in the past two years from covid the covid vaccine reported are greater than all of the reports combined in all the vaccines wow. in all the years up until this time. Wow. So, wow, let that sink in. Is, wow. Yeah. The bottom line is, is that we, I, you know, don't call me an anti vax Just don't sit there and say I'm an anti-vaxxer and say I'm a misinformation yeah. guy when I'm just trying to give, trying to say, we got to look at this stuff, okay? I mean, really, if this is true, would you, I mean, do you want to give it to your kid? Okay, so so let me let me digress because I did a real deep dive into, I just want to put a little flesh on the studies that were done for the children that brought forth this vaccine in June of this past year, Yes. okay? And I just want to put a little fle- flesh and blood on it. And and when this was this study was presented to from the FDA to the advisory committee that makes the decision to move forward they brought a study and they they had like 1200 patients in each in, in the study and from the 1200 patients in the study they they created an efficacy margin okay so what they did was after the first dose they tested any patient that had covid that had covid symptoms they tested after the second dose they tested and finally they decided they needed a third dose to test and i'll tell you why is that so this is the efficacy data okay they had one 1178 patients in the zero in the in the zero to i mean the four month or six month excuse me six month to two year group they had essentially 1200 patients okay now out of the 1200 patients that were vaccinated the end point the end point after the third dose they found two positives in the placebo group 
okay? And they found one positive in the vaccinated group. Wow. That was out of 1,200, 12, okay? Now, because, now bear with me here, hang with me. Because the vaccinated group, they had twice as many subjects, and they found one out of twice as many, they took the two that were in the placebo, which was half as many tested, so therefore, they said, okay, we're going to make that four in our data. Are you with me? So it's one to four because, because they just... Half the number. Yeah. Right. Gosh. Okay. So one to, now what's one, what's one to four? One out of five is 20%, right? So then what they infer with that data is that the vaccine was 80% effective. Wow. Based on, based <laughs> on, three, on three data points out of 1200 patients. Okay. Now, now keep in mind, you're going to have somebody's going to, you know, the public is going to say they did studies and they approved it. You're right. They did studies and they approved it and they showed an efficacy. Yeah. If you buy this piece of data. Okay. Now, if there's one mistake out of one and two, one and two, three, three data points, you know, it it throws everything totally to the other way. Okay. Now, let me tell you a few little things about this, okay? Can I pause you before now, you go on? Just for the sake of the, the average yeah, listener who's not into math, one out of 1,200, if I'm hearing you correctly, versus two out of 1,200, factually is statistically insignificant. That could be chance. You take another 1,200 people, it just it might as well have been two on the other side and one on the two on the one on the placebo side and two on the test group side, possibly. But either way, they're neck and neck. Am I right? Absolutely. And and then what, the, what that's called is relative efficacy, relative efficacy. What they're basically, they're just taking the number two to one to four is relative efficacy. And you're talking about absolute efficacy, which is one or two out of 1200. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, so it's a big difference. So then that, that tells you just a little side is, well, okay, even if this is true, how many patients do, we only got three positive tests out of 1,200. Right. How many patients do, and that was positive test, meaning a po- they had symptoms and they had a positive test. There was only one child that was hospitalized in the study, and that happened to be vaccinated. Okay. There was only one child that had severe COVID, which would mean their heart rate was up, and I, that was vaccinated. So they didn't, they didn't tell you that. Right. I need to now, ask you a question on this. How determinative was that study in official guidance in nih cdc guidance how relied upon this was this was the study the study that was presented to the fda presented by the fda from pfizer they brought their data forward fda presented it to the advisory committee and the advisory committee unanimously approved it now I, w- I just want to tell you one other thing that, that that's very, very, very crazy. So, in other words, if my colleague, like your friends, Dr. Eustace, if they knew of this study, they, they would they would say, "Come on, you." And I, but I can't make this up. They'd say, "You're making this up," and I'll say, "No, I'm not." But here's the here's the craziest thing about this this study, same study, is that after the first dose, now we're using their numbers of insignificance. After their first dose, they had a, an efficacy, a vaccine efficacy of 14. Now, remember, after the third dose, I gave you that number was 80, 80% based on the one in five, all right? Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, after the after the first dose, it was fourteen percent effective. After between the doses one and two, so shortly after the first dose, it was fourteen percent, and just before the second dose, it was a minus twenty nine percent. Wow! Do you get that? That was the efficacy. After, so that's after dose one. Minus twenty nine percent. Minus twenty. Meaning that's, that's a negative. Meaning that you were so. more likely more likely to get infected in this study from this study. You're more likely to get infected by having, having, the vaccine. having right. the vaccine. Wow. Now, now dose two. After dose two, it went for a week after they tested. It was forty eight percent effective by their numbers. Same ones. Then that was that was basically a three. That was a three and three patients. That was six patients that were positive out of the whole study at that time. And it went from 48% to 14%. Okay. That was after two doses. So their original intent was they were only going to give two doses, but they saw that now it's not working after two doses. So we're going to give it a third dose. Okay. So after dose three, early on after, after the vaccine, there were no patients positive. Well, there's one patient positive in the in the vaccinated group and none in the placebo group. So they that was an indeterminate because you had zero. You couldn't double zero and you couldn't divide. So that was undetermined. But really, by their numbers, they had one more than the placebo. But then in after seven days and beyond, after the third dose, they had a, the seventy the 80% effectiveness, the one, one and two that I told you about. So my point is, is that you're going to hear the studies were done and I'm giving you straight, this is straight, the straight study. And this is the data that went, went through. And we had a unanimous decision to approve this. I mean, that just has to make you wonder. Okay. How could it be unanimous? Those are our colleagues. Those are smart doctors that are in there empowered and tasked to keep us safe and to make decisions how could they just unanimously approve this thing okay you ask the question do you have answers that is the big question i love the data i love the focusing this on the absurdity of an entire culture that shut down the economy that radically changed the world the shape of the world the way we knew it prior to two years ago based upon so many things but certainly these fabricated or let's just say stretched exaggerated i'll say weaponized i'm going to say that we- are they weaponized studies to come to conclusions that defy a scientific formation in the scientific method and went against the protocol for validating particular drugs, both of those. What caused the scientific community to suspend their training in the scientific method? What caused uh, us to accept a protocol that defied any other time in history of accepting drugs onto the market? The why? Yeah, so, so, you know, when you start getting into the postulating, I want to I want to be, be cautious because I don't want I don't want Dr. Jones to throw it out because of what I say right now. Right. Okay? Right. I want jo- Dr. Jones to look at the study that I looked at and tell me that I've got it I've I've totally misinterpreted it. Mm-hmm. Okay? So Dr. Jones, if you're hearing this, look at the study and then call me call me a, you know a farce. Now, as far as the wise, you know there are some there are some current concerning there are con- concerning associations between 
our 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 government agencies are the agencies that there are incentives. I'm just going to say there's a whole lot of money that that big pharma generates to do studies, and and there's no secret that big pharma has put forth medications that have that have shown that they have been put out by data that's not been the greatest, and then the, the then the stu- the medication comes out and kills people, and then they then they you know, rescind. I mean, you can just look at well, I mean, thalidomide is a real you know a real mm-hmm. easy one. Um, years past, and you know, there's medications like Vioxx and the, that 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 was put out on the market had to be. I mean, Merck, Pfizer, all the major drug companies have been sued for a lot of a, a lot of medications that have been approved and so forth. So, how do these things get approved? Well, you know, we have to do the best we can. We'll, we'll kind of give you that, but the truth is, is that that it, how does the FDA, the policing body how do they make their money? How are they funded? Well, they're funded by all the applications of the pharmaceutical companies, right? And it's it's not cheap, okay? It's it, they the pharmaceutical company pays a lot of money to the FDA to to go through the approval process. So the pharmacy companies pay a lot of money to the, to researchers. I have heard this from researchers. Hey, they we they are my bread and butter. I mean, that's how I live. That is the way I live. I get paid and funded. My research gets funded by this drug company. So I'm not going to come against that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to call them out. They're not, you know, they're not not going to bite the hand that feeds them. Okay. So I don't understand how either I'm whack, you know, in looking at this, but it's hard to, it's hard to understand that unanimously, that this would be approved. You just have to feel that there is an agenda. And we have a right to have these suspicions. Again, the vaccine was changed. The definition of vaccine was changed to put this forward. Things were rushed. The things were rushed to put this thing forward. Okay. That, that, and studies were not done. And yet the, the medical community and the CDC and, and Fauci and everyone down, down to, to the doctor that you go to, every day told you that this was safe and effective mm-hmm. unequivocally unequivocally yep. and 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 they ignored the fact that we were giving vaccines to women pregnant women mm-hmm. <laughs> never never has this been done before and that was another thing that was just i could not handle how could we be giving vaccines to women and children with zero no studies or poor studies we just never did that before right. I need to pause. You we're, we're we're coming in for a landing here, folks. You're tuned into Ignite Radio Live with Greg and Stephanie Schleter. Delighted that you're with us with Dr. Steve Kiby in the second uh, installment, if you will, of this consideration after COVID. What did we learn? And you've really flushed out a number of the things you touched upon in the first episode. Um, I would like to just ask this question as we are coming in for a landing, and we're going to probably go into another... Uh, part three. Part three. <laughs> but I want to ask you... Given everything that you know, and by the way, we're going to, folks, we're going to include links to the data that Dr. Steve is sharing. Um, with all that you know, how would you advise a doctor or a parent to be fully informed in the dissimilar decisions they make here going forward? How would you advise a doctor? And how would you advise you are a parent of 10 kids, right? Husband, father, 10 kids. How do you advise us 
and making good decisions given the absence of confidence that we now have to have given what's happened in the last few years? Where do we go? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's it's a challenge because when you go to your local physician, um, they don't have the information to give an informed consent. I, I guess I would have to just, I mean, go to the physician and ask them to really do their own research. It's, there's too much, they're, they're, we're trusting too much what was handed down to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, and I, I think the biggest thing is just use your, com- I, I guess you have to jump into your common sense. Okay. Whether to give a vaccine to my child or not. Okay. I have to understand that it is a genetic vaccine that has been untested and, and it cannot keep up with the mutations. It doesn't change. It hasn't changed quick enough to keep, keep up with the rapidity of the mutations. Okay. So you just got to use your common sense. In theory, it can't win and it can't keep up. And in practice, you see it not winning and not keeping up. Okay. In practice, everybody has gotten COVID on this planet, just about. I mean, I've, I have talked to some that have not. Okay. Both. Yeah. Yay. You have a super uh, immune system that, and it's just, uh, it's well, just or not that you know about, that you know about, but you're exposed to it. Okay. Yep. Yep. So we don't know. We don't know. We would assume that you're, I mean, you had a heavy dose of exposure. Everybody's everybody on this planet has been exposed to COVID. Yep. Okay. And vaccined and vaccined unvaccinated people have all gotten sick. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so what's happening out in the field is that the vaccine is not working. Mm-hmm. And what's happening in theory is, how is it going to work? I mean, how do you give a vaccine that is only, I told you, partially effective? And we know it's been partially effective. David, the CDC has admitted that it's, they, they first said that it will um, prevent the disease and it will prevent the spread. We know that it does neither. It doesn't prevent the disease. It doesn't prevent the spread. CDC admits that. The only reason they hang their hat on this vaccine is they say that it will cause you to be less severely ill. So can okay? I ask, can I ask a question with that? You read my we mind. We got a minute left. I know, by the but way. this is important. I know it is <laughs> because the, I think the most common um, pushback, if you will, that we hear is, well, you know, I would have been hospitalized had I not had the vaccine. So scientifically, how would you respond to that? Mm. Like okay. we hear that but, over and over. Like I wouldn't be as sick, or or, or I wouldn't. I would be sicker. I would be dead. in the hospital, or I would be this, dead. This, I'm like this might be the teaser for, for next 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 one, like a yes, series. I yes. Yeah, I'll give you an answer, but 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 this is a teaser. This this goes back to uh, the data. Um, first of all, we know that there's data coming out of the United Kingdom and Israel yes. that shows that the hospital rates are higher in vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Okay. We already know that. Okay, there's much of this data is being suppressed. So, in fact, it's it's just not true. Okay, that's all I can tell you. The the second thing that you have to keep in mind is back in the day when they said this was a disease of the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. What was happening in the there was incentives for hospitals 
for the, the COVID diagnosis and to use medications like remdesivir. There's mm -hmm. high incentive. They were getting a lot of money. So then the data in the very beginning, when a person at the intake desk, they if they said, you know, if you said I was vaccinated one time, not fully vaccinated, the data would be transferred. The data would become unvaccinated. unvaccinated. Gotcha. So then our ICU friends, they would be seeing patients. And I mean, I challenged them. Did they look back at the chart? When they look at the chart, it says unvaccinated. And that's what they know about that patient. Did they ask the patient in the ICU? Did they ask that patient if they're vaccinated ever? Did they get their true vaccine history? So what's happening is that the unvaccinated number was overinflated. And in the beginning, it was also higher overinflated because of what I just told you. And secondly, because less people were vaccinated. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, less people were vaccinated. So in the beginning, there were more people that were ill in the hospital that were unvaccinated. We're gonna have to come in for a landing here, folks. I'm gonna cue you up, your peak your interest for part three, but we're getting a lessons in science and maybe stretching us a little bit on the technicals, but I'm glad you're bringing that, Dr. Mm -hmm. Steve. I'm Absolutely. glad that you're doing somewhat mm -hmm. of a deep dive. We know it even goes deeper. Uh, molecular levels, one could, can really go deep if they want to. Dr. McCullough is an expert on that, right? The most credentialed mm -hmm. peer-reviewed doctor on the planet. By the way, he was booted from Twitter. That's a whole nother conversation we need to talk about, but finally he's back and you can see his solid documented information that he brings there uh, as, as he's been readmitted into the the cycle the circle of humanity to have the conversation so why are we doing this we're doing this because we want to platform difficult conversations that are consequential from a Catholic perspective and we're doing so admitting we are imperfect we are incomplete we are availed to the verdict of truth from a value point of, of God's revelation for the good of the human person and we desire to all be on that team don't we folks you're tuned in to Ignite Radio Live. We're so blessed that you've been with us. Check us out at IgniteRadioLive.com. We do encourage you to please support this mission. We rely 100% on your benefactions, so click on that partner tab. And uh, Dr. Steve is always so very blessed by you. Take care.